Father, we come to the time in the the study when we can open up our Bibles. And Lord, you have told us so clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. And so it is our desire to hear from you through the reading of the word and the exposition of your word. That not only would we know more about you in our minds, but that we would love you more in our hearts and be more resolved to live for you, to submit to you, to obey you with cheerful, with cheerful dispositions. Lord, in the seasons that you have us in our lives and families and work and all that we have going on, we pray that we would work for your glory, whatever it is that we do. So teach us this evening as we look into the word in Jesus' name, amen. Well, go to Psalm 54 if you have your Bible, Psalm 54. We're going to look at this wonderful, short, very, very brief psalm, Psalm 54, and I titled it, it's kind of the the New Year song. We could call it the New Year song because whatever God brings into your life, we should resolve to thank the Lord. And I don't know what this year has in store for me and for you and for our church and our nation and our world. I certainly don't know what God has planned for us, but I I do know that from his word, Psalm 54, that whatever God brings, we ought to resolve to thank the Lord. We want to resolve to thank the Lord. So follow with me. Let me read it. I'll put the passage before us, and then we'll study it together. Psalm 54, from the middle of the title there, it is a mosquil of David when the Ziphites came and they said to Saul, is not David hiding himself among us? Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, violent men have sought my life, and they have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your faithfulness. Willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. And then the conclusion is for the choir director on the stringed instruments. You know, we come to a new year, 2024, and as we come to a new year, I think it would be good for all of us to resolve to thank God in any and every circumstance in life. What, whatever God ordains is always right, and whatever God decrees is always good. 
I'm reminded of the way Moses prayed in the oldest psalm that we have, Psalm 90. He said in verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. You know, a good way to gain wisdom is to learn to live each day with an eternal perspective. We want to live with an eternal perspective. And I think one of the ways that our psalm tonight can help us is this. Our theology needs to govern our thinking. Our theology needs to govern our thinking. Or maybe we could say it like this. Our orthodoxy must govern our orthopraxy. That is what we believe needs to shape and govern how we live our lives. And we live in dangerous times. We live in shaky times, kind of like David did. And yet we need to know that unshakable faith, unshakable faith is always grounded in an unshakable God. Unshakable faith is not grounded in self. It's not grounded in things in this world. It's not grounded in culture, economics, finances, relationships, family, spouse, children. None of that is unshakable. Only God is unshakable. You see, our knowledge of who God is, our intimate knowledge of God, the character of God, it really does affect Everything about us in our lives, like everything. Colossians 4 verse 5, Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Now, when I think about that verse in Colossians 4 5, that we want to walk in wisdom and we want to make the best use of our time, I think of how Paul says that we need to walk in a way that is described or marked by wisdom. Well, you notice the title of our psalm is a maskeel. The reason I read the title is because I believe that those are inspired. I believe that those were written by the psalmist, both the beginning introduction and the concluding words as well. David writes, and he says, it is a maskeel of David. And that word maskeel means it is a psalm that is meant to give you wisdom for life. It's meant to give you skill for life, not only to inform your doctrine and your thinking, but how we live and how we conduct ourselves every day. Now, the situation of what's going on is intriguing to me. David says in the title here, it's when the Ziphites came and they said to Saul, is not David hiding among us? Now that's interesting. Remember back in your in your study of 1 Samuel chapter 23, David has been anointed king, but he's running for his life from Saul. Saul is kind of the insomniac king. He wants to kill David. He wants him dead. He is, feels threatened by David. And so Saul is pursuing David. And as David is running from him, he goes to a city of Calah and David delivers Calah. And a little bit later on in that chapter, Saul comes out to seek David's life while David is running in a wilderness of Ziph. It is in that time that Jonathan, Saul's son, actually comes and gives a little biblical counseling encouragement to David in these times of difficulty. 
Well, then in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 23, the Ziphites come to Saul and they say to King Saul, isn't David hiding among us in the strongholds? They betray David and they surrender him into the king's hand. So Saul pursues David among the Ziphites, but amazingly, providentially, in perfect timing, Saul gets word that the Philistines are invading. So Saul forgets the chase of David, and he goes back home to fight the Philistines. You know, David writes this at that time. He writes this when he's betrayed. He writes this when Saul is chasing him to kill him. He's writing this when he feels lonely. He feels isolated. He feels hounded. He feels threatened. His life is on the line. One writer, William Ward, said, God gave you a gift of 86,400 seconds today. How many of them will you use to thank the Lord? How many will you use to thank the Lord? Well, I bet thanking God may have been the furthest thing from David's mind. He's running for his life. But yet, right here in our psalm, it's actually not the furthest thing from his mind. He resolves to thank the Lord. What I hope to do this evening is work our way through this psalm with you and and simply remind you, whatever God brings into your life, resolve to thank God. In your outline, you see a really simple outline. Number one, my trouble. Number two, my theology. Number three, my resolve. Or maybe we could even simplify it. You see that there in your outline. You could look at the heading number one as, I need, God, I need your help. I need you to come to my aid. Number two, I believe. Here's what I believe about you, God. But then we also need number three, I will. I will take action to thank you and praise you and obey you. So follow with me in your notes as we go through this section by section very briefly, and then we'll pray together. Look at number one in your outline, my trouble, my trouble. David in verses one, two, and three has a key word. Ready? It's me, 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 my, my, my. God, see what's going on with me. Verse one, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your power. Verse 2, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and violent men have sought my life. What I think is interesting about trials is that trials have a way of utterly stripping us from self-confidence. And they drive us, they drive us to deeper confidence in God. In verse 1, David is just honestly crying out, Save me, God. Vindicate me, O God, by your name. Now, we may not talk a lot about that, but in the Hebrew Jewish Mind, if you talk about the name of God, that's like wrapping your arms around all the attributes of God. 
Save me, God, by all that you are, your love, your holiness, your mercy, your compassion, your omniscience, your omnipotence, all of the attributes of God, your eternality, your wisdom, your mercy, all that you are, save me by your name. He says in verse 2, hear me, give ear to the words of my mouth. I'm praying to you. I need you, God. This is desperate. Verse 3, he gives the reason. Notice the word for, beginning of verse 3. Here's the reason. Because, or for, strangers have risen against me. The word strangers means arrogant men. The arrogant ones. The outsiders are rising up against me. They are violent men. They are seeking my life. And notice how they're described at the end of verse 3. They do not set God before them. You think, Jeff, I hear what you're saying, and I get the situation where David is, he's running for his life, but you may not have somebody literally chasing you to kill you. But you may have a hostile relative. You may have a a child or a parent who mocks you when you seek to give them biblical truth. You may have to stand for truth at work that may end up costing you your job. You may have tyrannical authorities that may soon hunt you down because you bear the name of Christ. And Christian, even if none of those are true of you, If you bear the name of Christ and you're abiding in Christ and you're united to Christ, guess what? You have Satan and all of his minions that are chasing you. You have spiritual battles and Satan and his minions are hard at work to discourage you and defile you and distract you and discredit you and they want to disqualify you Beware. That's why we can say, here's my trouble. Help me. Save me. Hear me. God, take action. I think we ought to make it our personal ambition to do the reverse at the end of verse 3. If the ungodly don't set God before them, what we should do is set the Lord before us. That's what David said earlier in Psalm 16. He said in verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me. Whatever the path may be that God in his sovereignty leads you down, it could be the shadow of death. It could be cancer. It could be financial instability. It could be sickness. It could be physical persecution. It could be violence. It could be hardship. It could be the loss of a family member or a spouse or a child. It could be hopes or expectations that are dashed. What what we learn from these opening verses is how important it is in my trouble to call out to God. He's a father and he wants to hear from you and he calls you to come to him. Saints have always dealt with this. Hebrews 11, men of whom the world was not worthy. 
And in your life, it might be Job-like afflictions. It might be Joseph-like injustices that come your way. It might be Jeremiah-like government hostilities. It it might be Jesus-like rejections and betrayals. It it could be Habakkuk-like uncertainties. It could be Paul-like imprisonments. It could be Peter-like moments of Satan wanting to sift you like wheat. But what do we do? Stay faithful. The positive of Psalm 54 verse 3 is to set the Lord before us. That's what we want to do. The wicked do not do that. So David cries out to God, here's my trouble. Look in your outline, number two, my theology. So this is really where it becomes practical because your theology will direct how you respond. It will direct how you respond. In other words, verses 3 and 4 is essentially, here's what I know. I remember in my doctoral work, I was in a class trying to define systematic theology. We were trying to figure out what is systematic theology and how do we define it. Well, I came up with a, it's an, it's an organized topical approach that studies and surveys and understands what the Bible says about different topics and themes. We compile scriptures about different topics, and this, we need to have a biblical systematic theology because it is the solid bedrock that we build our Christian lives upon. If you have a shallow theology, your life is going to topple over very quickly. But if you have a strong bedrock theology that is grounded in a sovereign God, you can withstand the storms of life, not because of you, but because of the God that you're standing upon. A deep theology produces a settled rest in Christ and a high doxology of God. Look at what David does in verse 4. All of the troubles, all of the afflictions, and then he says, Behold, behold, God is my helper. Now, in the Hebrew, it's actually interesting. It's not a noun verb for helper. It's actually a verb that signifies constant action. God is the one who is continually, every moment of my life, helping me. He's not just a helper out there in some vague, generic way. He is my personal, intimate, constant helper. Not only that, verse 4, he's the sustainer of my soul. And not only is he my helper and my sustainer, but then in verse 5, he will recompense the evil to my foes. He's the repayer. I mean, he really is going to repay all of the wicked for the evil things that they've done. I don't have to get even. I don't have to return insult for insult. I don't have to take revenge because God will take care of it in his own perfect time. So God is my helper, he is my sustainer, he is my repayer, and then in verse 5, destroy them in your faithfulness. I mean, what a solemn prayer. God, you see my enemies, destroy them, deal with them. Now David can pray that he's the king of Israel. 
He is God's appointed king, appointed by the prophet of God. And so David prays, deal with them. What is so remarkable to me about these verses, two little verses, verses four and five, is that David's theology saturates his thinking. I mean, he could run for his life. We might be tempted to post something on Facebook or text a friend or call a friend or or go somewhere else. But yet David, his theology drives him to the character of God. It allows us to respond coolly and live with self-control and with respectableness. And as we adorn the gospel and we give our enemies no occasion for slandering the Christ that we proclaim. Ponder with me Philippians 1, the very end of Philippians chapter 1. I love this verse. It's one of those hard verses in the Bible that we love and read part of it and appreciate part of it, but the end of it, it's like, ooh, that's tough. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For to you, speaking to the church, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe. Praise God, it's been granted to us to believe. And it has been granted for you to suffer for his name's sake. Both are true. Both are true. My God is so good that he has given me the grace to believe in him. Praise the Lord. But verse 29 also tells us that he gives us the grace even to suffer for his name's sake. We want to suffer well. We want to suffer Christianly. In fact, I remember in the 1540s, I was reading about this. Recently, in in the city of London, there was a man by the name of Anthony Parsons. Anthony Parsons was a Christian man, and he was brought to the stake to suffer for his Christian faith. And he had two other Christians who were with him, and they were all tried, and they were found to be heretics by the Roman Catholic leaders at that time. And so they sent him them to be persecuted by being burned at the stake. Anthony Parsons said this to his two friends. Be cheerful, my brethren. Lift up your hearts to God. For after this suffering, get this, I trust that we will have a good dinner in the kingdom of Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. I am a Christian soldier, and I am prepared for this battle. I look for no mercy, but through the merits of Christ. He is my only Savior, and in him do I trust for salvation? Man, that's how you go to the stake Christianly. I have no hope but this God. He knew that at the moment he died, he would awake with immediate presence of King Jesus forever. He knew that he had no hope other than his Redeemer. He had no hope but the merits of Christ. You see, the deeper that we go in our theology, the stronger our bedrock foundation as we build through life. I think it's why the Psalms are so important. I think it's why it's the longest book of the Bible with 150 songs. 
inspired hymns, so that we would know God rightly, this sovereign, triumphant, conquering God. I think it's why the book of Romans is so profound, because it leads us to a righteous and a sovereign and a saving and a merciful God. This is why, by the way, we preach so much at Christ Fellowship Bible Church. How do we learn God? How do we know God? How do we study God? How do we grow deeper in our understanding of God? But through his word and the study of his word, and even through the preaching of the word of God as well. This is why I must preach the whole counsel of God. I can't just preach verses here and there, but but the whole counsel of God. It's why we meet weekly. It's why I preach expositionally. It's, It's why we preach the majesty of God in the sufficient word of God. I think of Paul's words to Titus at the end of Titus chapter 3. I love this verse, Titus 3, 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, Paul said, I want you to speak confidently. That's my job. Preach confidently. Preach these things confidently. Why? Verse 8, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. We need preaching. We need the word of God so that we can respond and live godly lives, holy lives. So my trouble Here's what's going on in my life. They're after me, Lord. That's number one. Number two, my theology. I know, God, that you are my helper, my sustainer. You are the repayer and you are the destroyer. My theology tells me these things about you. But we got to get to number three. And number three in your outline is my resolve. It's one thing to know about God. But what we need to do is get to where David does at the end of the psalm. In verses 6 and 7, David says, Willingly I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. I have a a commentary that goes through the, the psalms. And it gives kind of the meaning, the exposition, and then there's sort of the technical notes for the Hebrew and some of the grammatical and and the structural things. That commentator says this, it is only fitting for us to praise God because in the face of troubles and in the face of all foes, the Lord is good. I mean, we have every reason to praise the Lord. Why? Whether we're in a trial or not. Whether it takes my life or not. Whether I'm in a good season or in a bad season. Guess what? God hasn't changed. He's good. He is good. He is always good. It's almost like the thunder clouds that might break over our head with the lightning and the thunder and the rain, and we think this is never going to go away, but yet God is good in the blue skies above. He's there. Notice how David says in verse 6, willingly I will sacrifice to you. I love the word willingly. It's the idea of with a glad heart. 
With a glad heart, I will sacrifice to you. Lord, I will worship you with a, with a glad and a cheerful heart. And then he says, at the end of verse 6, I will give thanks to your name, for it is good. Yeah, but, but David... Don't you have anxiety right now? I mean, isn't Saul pursuing you? Haven't you been betrayed by the Ziphites? I mean, aren't you wandering alone in the deserts of Ziph? And, and, and didn't Jonathan come to, to give you some counsel because you needed some encouragement? I mean, David, what kind of help do you need? And he says, I need to thank the Lord. I will thank your name for it is good. Two reasons, end of the psalm, verse 7. Here's why he thanks God. Verse 7, because God has delivered me from all trouble and my eye looks upon my enemies. I think these are future, sort of a prophetic hope that God will deliver me and that God will allow the righteous ponder this. I'll mention it, but think about it theologically later. That God will allow the righteous to see the downfall of their enemies. That God will allow the righteous to see it when God deals with the ungodly. And so when David is is praying and when he's crying out to God and when he's telling God his trouble and he's reflecting on his theology of God, we have to remember like Ephesians 5 verse 20, we're filled with the Spirit, we must be giving thanks in all situations. Let me just give you a few reasons why tonight, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can thank the Lord. Think of the access that you have to God. The open door to always come to the throne of the King of the universe. You can thank the Lord because of the sacrifice that God made for you. Not just the sacrifice he made for humanity. Don't think about it generally. Think about it individually and personally. God sacrificed himself for me. Third, we have every reason to give thanks to God because of the righteousness of Christ that is reckoned to us. You see, when God looks at me, he does not see Jeff Kirkland and all of my filth and all of my shame and all of my selfishness and all of my pride and all of my sin. You know what God sees as a believer in Jesus? God sees Christ. He sees Christ. And never forget, the Father said to the Son, in you I am well pleased. And if you're in the Son, the Father is well pleased with you. You can thank the Lord because of the prayers that God answers. You can pray to God and you know that God will hear them and you know that God will answer them. That's amazing. You can thank the Lord because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have the infinite God taking up residence in your heart. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you, making a home in your heart. 
You can thank the Lord because of the strong love that God gives you in Christ. A strong love, a permanent love, a keeping love, a a saving love, a particular love, a tender love. You can thank the Lord because of the hell that was swallowed up on your behalf through Christ when he died on the cross. It's as if he took all of that cup that took all of the infinite eternities of hell and he drank it all and he said, it's done. It's done. It's finished. I did it. And so we have reasons to thank the Lord. Yes, we could be going through trials and troubles and difficulties and, and all the pains of life. That doesn't, those aren't minimized. David doesn't minimize it. Those are real But yet our theology is our bedrock foundation and we have every, every reason to resolve with David, I will thank the Lord. I will sacrifice freely to the Lord. Just very quickly in closing, I think regular, consistent communion time with God is the best way to prepare for the difficult seasons of life. The Bible reading is never time wasted. A prayer and praising and confessing your sin and repenting and asking God in prayer is time never wasted, never wasted. Every minute of your life counts. Every hour counts. It is a gift from God to you to use it well. We can't can't save time. We can't reuse time. We can't pause time. We can't get time back. We have to either use it or lose it. We want to be faithful to steward the time that God has given us well. However many days or months or years or decades that may be, let's be men like David. Whatever trial, whatever trouble, whatever affliction comes, I I will sacrifice freely. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. And by the way, I think just in closing, that's one reason why at Christ Fellowship so much prayer and care is taken in singing good songs and hymns at Christ Fellowship Bible Church. Whether they were written hundreds of years ago or this decade, the time doesn't matter. What matters is the theology. And what matters is the depth of understanding of God. Why? Because God designed us where solid lyrics stick to our minds. And bad lyrics can stick to our minds. And yet, with prayer and care and intentionality, as we sing these psalms, as we sing the hymns, the profound theology of what we sing and know and love and study, it gives us a sturdy depth when the afflictions assault us. For example, in the 1600s, Samuel Rodegast was at the bedside of a sick friend. He was dying. And he was confused. My sick friend, whom I love, I cherish, is dying. He wrote these words. Whatever God ordains is right. 
holy his will abideth. I will be still whatever he does, and I will follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him I leave it all, and so to him I leave it all. Whatever my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, but I take it all unshrinking. My God is true, each morn anew, sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. What a great hymn that is. What great doctrine, what great theology in the storms of life to remember that God is with us in our trouble. And that that would be true for us, that as we begin a new year, that we would make it our resolve. Whatever happens tonight, tomorrow, this year, in America, around the world, whatever it might be, let's make it our resolve. I will give thanks to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you for the clarity and the power of David's psalm that he gave to us here so that we might know you and know your truth. Oh God, help us to be people of thanks and people of praise and people of worship. In Jesus' name.